We've said the Lord's Prayer is a journey prayer for this journey. So let's, let's pray it together. We'll use sin and sins right there in the middle if you're wondering what words we use. Trespasses, debts, and sins are all excellent candidates. We'll use the word sins as we pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, the glory forever. Amen. We want to pray this prayer. We want to think about about this prayer. We want to feel this prayer in our bodies. So I'm slowly learning it in sign language, and I'm showing it to you. My wife knows sign language. She chuckles as she, teaches, as she teaches me these signs. So, uh, But it's good for a novice to lead you. A novice to lead other novices is usually a good way to go. We say, Our Father, who art in heaven. This is from last week. Hallowed be thy name. Good, you look good. Okay. <laughs> I'm rehearsing in my mind. Make a K and we say your kingdom. So kingdom like this, right? Make a sash, the realm of the king. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is. This is really a cool view. Actually, sing us all do that. Let's try that again. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the phrase that we're going to sit with this morning. What does it mean, your kingdom come? The questions that we asked at the beginning of our meditation were, were meant to get our, our pumps priming in, in a couple of ways. The governor's question was not meant to be politically driven, as if our current governor, I'm, I'm opposing his views. I'm trying to say that kingdom is a very practical reality, has political and social and relational ramifications. And if God were in charge of our state, what would it look like? It's a great question. The interesting thing is that if I took the mic around on that question alone, we might get some interesting differences. Which leads us to our next question, how do we know what God's kingdom looks like? Well, we get a definition inside the prayer itself, your kingdom come equals your will be done. Oftentimes in Hebrew poetry, we see what we call parallelism or a rhyming of an idea Helpful for us then to sometimes get at the meaning of your kingdom come means your will be done. Although I like that definition, it doesn't so much get us any closer to, well, then what does that will look like? One of my favorite verses in the New Testament is as Matthew chapter 1 through 8, excuse me, verses 1 through 3, where a leper comes to Jesus and he asks him this beautiful question comes to him and says, if you are willing, you could heal me. 
And Jesus looks at the leper and he says these beautiful words, I am willing. Be cleansed. The will of Jesus spoken out loud for that leper was to heal him. The question is, could that stand could that stand as a symbol of the will of God in all facets? I think yes, but we need to, need to dig even digger. <laughs> we need to dig even deeper, is what I'm trying to say. Dig even deeper to get at what does this will look like? The other question that we pose, if, if God could snap his finger and fix anything right now, uh, suggests to me the parable of the chiropractor. How many of you have ever been to a chiropractor? A lot of us. So this is a, a modern parable, a metaphor of a chiropractor. It was a terrifying experience. It was a, a rough chiropractor who I got on his table and he said, <clears throat> now just relax. <laughs> Ryan Regan, the comedian, says, if you ever hear a doctor say, just relax, that's code word for pain is coming. <laughs> and uh, the chiropractor did begin to yank on my body in the most torturous ways, and I could not imagine how this was being helpful at all. But a later chiropractor that I went to, I would lay on a table and she would use a little hammer, gentle hammer, and doot, 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 doot. She was like, oh, that, that's out. Doot, 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 doot. Felt kind of good, the little tapping on my spine. Doot, 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 doot. I go, this is how it should, this is fantastic. <laughs> Here's what's happening in a chiropractor's office. You come in disordered. The alignment of your spine and your bones are out of whack, and that's causing mayhem in your whole system. That's why that pain is shooting down your leg into your foot. It's all out of whack. And a chiropractor, what he does is he reorders what is misaligned in order that all the systems should flow as they were meant to flow. When you're in the chiropractor's office, you are in the kingdom of the chiropractor. His way or her way gets to be the way that it goes. And you submit to the aligning and you walk out healthier. And this idea of kingdom has to do with a king who has his way. In fact, my favorite definition of kingdom is where God's way has its way. For good. I like adding for good because it plays with language a little bit. That God's way is always for our good, and one day his kingdom will be established forever for good. His kingdom is always where his way, the king, has the kings, the kings gets to have his way. That's why in the New Testament, when you survey the language, especially Matthew and Luke, we see it all the time in those two Gospels. We see things like Jesus saying, the kingdom of God is near you. The kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God has come near, has come among you. Always in reference to his presence. The kingdom came along with Jesus the king. It's often associated with healing. He taught about it. So it was something that could be talked about and explained and exhorted toward. The kingdom was called in Luke multiple times a kingdom of good news. So there's something in it that's good news for us, them all, to hear. So what is it? Kingdom of God. How can we get our hands around with this term that's hard to just sort of narrow down into a simplistic formula, which I don't mean to do, but I'm trying to, to move at the essence of it. And here's the line of inquiry I want to take. I 
think that Jesus' actions relative to the purity laws of the Old Testament give us the clearest insight into the essence of what it means when his kingdom comes. Big sentence. Here's what I mean by that. The purity laws of the Old Testament were a whole series of laws that forbidden people to touch certain things, or when things happened to them bodily, they were pronounced unclean and needed to go through a ceremonial waiting period, washing period, or sacrifice in order to get things straightened out again. These things hardly ever were sins. They were sort of normal affairs of life that caused people to be ceremonial, ceremonially unclean. Typically four categories. They were either you ate something that you weren't supposed to eat, you had some sort of infection on your skin, you had some sort of bodily discharge, or you touched a dead body. So these, these four forms of typical common uncleanness would, would, would thrust a person into an unclean state, and then they had to do something to get clean again before they could engage the community, engage, engage the tabernacle. Now, we might think, wow, it's kind of archaic, old system. Well, there's a lot of ideas playing in that old system uh, of why that was beneficial for this people out in the desert trying to learn about God and his ways. I would say four. Number one, one of the ways was they were learning that God was holy, and there was uh, a kind of understanding that holiness had... Um, demands associated with it that we needed to be conscious of and, and careful about. Uh, a kind of holy regard for God. That was, there was tutoring in that regard. There's also tutoring in the fact that God was calling forth a unique, distinct people to be different from the practicing pagans and the pagans, pagan nations around them. Different. So these ceremonial laws created habits that were different. These, these ceremonial laws created instincts around restraint and self discipline. Um, there was hygienic value in a lot of these ceremonial laws to help keep the people uh, healthy and separated from possible infection and disease. All that's mixed in, but there was something I read this week exploring this that just stunned me into, I think, uh, getting at the heart of what it means when we say your kingdom comes. I wrote some stuff, or I copied some stuff from Baker's Evangelical Theological Dictionary on the back of your outline. If you turn it over and look at the second paragraph, I thought I'd just read it to you, because I read it and was, was quite impacted by the second paragraph, as impacted as anybody could be reading about the purity laws of the Old Testament law. But look, look, watch this and get, get something here that's underneath it that's profound. Paragraph number two. But besides teaching the holiness of God, maintaining separation and distinction from pagan nations, teaching about human sinfulness, training ethical sensibilities, and providing levels of community hygiene, the purity system also conveyed in a symbolic way that Yahweh, their God, was the God of life and was to be separated from death. Most of the unclean animals that were forbidden to be eaten were either predators or scavengers, or, li or, uh, or lived in caves. Uh, time for the glasses. Uh, the time has come. Glasses. Here we go. The pig, moreover, was associated with the worship of Near Eastern chthonic deities. That word chthonic means to refer to the underworld or death-related. That is a $100 word. 
Hillside Challenge, use Thonic next week somewhere in a conversation. <laughs> Tell me how that goes. Okay. Leprosy made a person waste away like a corpse. Bodily discharges, blood for women, semen for men, represented a temporary loss of strength and life and movement toward death. Because decaying corpses discharged, so natural bodily discharges were reminders of sin and death. Physical imperfections represented a movement from, quote, life toward death, moving a person ritually away from God who is associated with life. Purification rituals symbolized movement from death toward life and accordingly involved blood, the color red, and spring are literally living water, all symbols of life. Here's one of the weirdest little commands in the Old Testament law. Israel was not to cook a goat in its mother's milk. Not because it was a pagan practice, but because it was inappropriate to combine that which was a symbol of life, mother's milk, with the death of that for which it was meant to give life. Especially in the context of the Festival of Tabernacles, celebrating the life-giving power of Yahweh. I read this paragraph and something profound clicked in me. Here's why. Because when Jesus walked and demonstrated the kingdom, what did he do? He intentionally touched unclean things. And what happened when Jesus touched things that were unclean? What happened? Matthew chapter, well, 8 and 9. There's a couple of, of, of moments here where this happens. I want to read those and, and set up the stage. Remember, what we're doing here is we're trying to get at the heart, the key concept behind your kingdom come, your will be done. I referenced this earlier, but Jesus ate, this is Matthew 8, 1, when he came down from the mountain, behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, and Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing. Oh, be clean. But I just want you to see the, 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 the word in this sentence that's most striking to me is this. And Jesus reached out his hand and he, what's the word? Touched. You weren't supposed to touch lepers. The moment you touched a leper, you were in quarantine. You were unclean and you had to go through the whole get clean business again. The text goes on. Jesus heals him. And then there's no word about Jesus goes, okay, dudes, um, I got to go. I'm unclean now for the rest of the day. So you guys go do the ministry. I'm going to go off, and I got to go do my washing to get clean again. No sign of that. Why? Because the power of leprosy didn't affect Jesus, but the power of healing and life in Jesus affected the leper. Do you see the power differential? Chapter 9, verse 20. Two, two scenes right back to back again. This is uh, Matthew 9, beginning of verse 20. While he was saying these things, um, a ruler came to, to Jesus and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman on the way who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years. Just recognize for this woman's malady had kept her unclean for 12 years without the possibility of ever getting clean. Suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years, came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I touch his garment, I will be made well. And Jesus turned and seeing her, said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. 
In the other gospel, you know, there's a, there's a more drama. Who touched me? And the disciples go, what are you talking about? Everyone's touching you. He goes, no, no, no. Someone touched me in a deliberate way because I felt power go out from me. And the woman falls before Jesus. Oh, it was me. And Jesus, full of compassion, your faith has made you well. I love how he responded to her. His response was, oh, oh, you touched me. Shoot. You're a bleeding woman. Now I'm unclean for the next day. I can't go finish my ministry. Thanks a lot. <laughs> he didn't do that. The power from Jesus, Mr. Clean. As I look at Will Davidson here with his nice bald head, I, 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 I kind of think of Mr. Clean right now. Well, <laughs> you young people know who Mr. Clean is? Anybody in the room? Handsome guy, pine saw or something like that. I love that. That's what happens when Jesus touched the bleeding woman. And then, then what happens next? Um, right after that, instantly the woman was made well. And then Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. And he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in. And what did he do? He took her by the hand. There he goes again, touching a corpse. Not supposed to do that. My pause is now not dramatic. I cannot find the words in my text here. Uh, <laughs> I tell you what. He went in and he took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the girl arose. In these three incidences, I want you to see is that something fundamentally has changed when the kingdom of God has come into the, to the realm of Israel, who had been tutored by the purity laws, that suddenly, where in the past, unclean had the power to make the clean unclean. And they had to go through this process to get clean again. Now, Jesus had come into the scene, and he, with the power of the kingdom, was actually touching unclean. And the unclean wasn't getting on him, but the clean was getting on the unclean. And he was healing the flow of blood and raising up the dead and healing the lever. He was overcoming, now to use what we read a few moments ago, all the remnants or the power or the impact of death in that culture. He was overcoming it with life. Wherever there was death at work, the kingdom of God comes into where death's at work and it brings resurrection. It brings life into death. That's what the kingdom of God is doing. Which means that the primary kingdom act of Jesus was when he goes into the center of death itself and he rises from the dead. He destroys death at its very center, which becomes the center of the gospel proclamation. I said the kingdom is good news. You know what the heart of the good news is? Jesus died and rose again. Death has been defeated. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death has an end coming. Death will be thrown into the fire. Death has met its match. Here is the heart of the kingdom of God, life overcoming death. Listen, we have often turned Christianity into a moral code. How boring. Hear me carefully. I think morality is critically important, not for its own sake, but because it's a pathway to life. But not because it's the thing itself. The core of the good news is not be good, but live. And if you want to live in a dangerous and broken world, well, 
there's a way to live. So the journey we're on, guided by the Lord's Prayer, is this, that we are headed toward eternal life, the fullness of life, where there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, all that wiped away. That's where we're headed. And now as we move in that direction, we are agents of the resurrected Jesus continuing his touching ministry. We're touchers. We're to touch lepers and dead people and those who are bleeding in every metaphorical sense of those, those words. That's the journey that we're called on in every place, encountering death in its physical forms, in its relational forms, in its spiritual forms. And stop for a moment and think about those three categories. They're all coming up in the prayer. Physical death, give us this day our daily bread. Relational death, forgive us our sins as we forgive those. Spiritual death, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Death in all of those forms around us we will encounter today, every day. Every day it will be what we encounter. And guess what the journey for kingdom people is? Is to be the presence of the resurrected Christ, being his touching hand in those messy situations, being and proclaiming and modeling and insisting on and advocating for life. Isn't that a profound way to think about what we're up to? in this journey? Am I softening anything central in the gospel by saying this? At the center of life is to know God who is life. The one who has the Son has what? Life. The one who doesn't have the Son doesn't. Life is found in Him, the resurrected one. I came that you might have and have it to the fullest. Life is where the kingdom shines. It's what the kingdom is all about. Life in its truest, fullest sense. And we walk in a valley full of death and we are life agents. We touch things and life is supposed to bloom in the, the sort of the ashen, dark, brown terrain of the world. We touch things and little blue and red flowers are supposed to pop out. Am I just being like a poet now and just being so unrealistic? You might say, sounds good, Jeff, but death seems like it's got the upper hand on us because Ellen Lancaster died two weeks ago and my mother-in-law died four weeks ago and death is happening all around us. We can't seem to stop it, so how does that work with your theology, Jeff? And that's the great question as we come up against ugly death and death, by the way, is defined, I think, in all of its most fundamental sense, death is always separating what was never meant to be taken apart. And we see it everywhere, and it's all around us, and so we can be overwhelmed by that. And people still die, and we pray for people, and they don't get healed, and we're wrestling with, how does this work if we are little Jesus touchers with resurrection power, and we come up against stuff that doesn't seem to go the way that we hope or that it should be? What do we think? And I'm going to say a couple things about that. Number one, I'm going to say this, is that all of us in this room are going to die unless Jesus comes back first. Right now, the way out of death is through it and beyond it with new bodies forever. That's, that's kind of how the game's going to be played. But it is not to give one inch over to death because all along the way, we will deprive 
death of all of its trophies. Because if somebody is sick, we will pray for their healing. And praise God, many times it will be delayed because God will take away that little problem for now. More are going to come. Like little poor Lazarus who got taken out of the tomb once, but he had to go back again, poor guy. Do you ever think about that, about Lazarus? He was like, what an exciting thing to be risen from the dead. Oh, bummer, you have to die again. Okay, my point simply being, <laughs> my, my point simply being is that Okay, this death story is going to be around us, right? But we are purveyors of life at every step. And so if death is going to come, then we will deprive death of its ability to give pain. And if we're unable to deprive it of its ability to give pain, then we will be present and we will deprive death of its ability to take away the dignity of anybody that's dying. Do you hear me? Wherever we can give life, we will be life givers. We will stand for life in every kind of way that we can. We will be undaunted in believing in and being present to and open for the resurrected Lord of heaven and earth to flow through us in life-giving healing ways. And we will be scandalized. Hear me now. If we are to continue the touching ministry of Jesus we got to get close enough to death stuff to touch it. And if there was ever a scandal in the life of Jesus, it was because he touched the untouchable over and over again. Now, apart from being defined as a people of God who separate from anything messy in our enclave of holy safety, now as followers of Jesus, the way that we mark our journey is by being in the middle of a death-saturated world as bearers of resurrection touch. And it's messy. And it's hard and it's dirty. That's the road before us. Undaunted when we don't see the results that we need, but knowing that everywhere that we can, we will deprive death of its trophies. We will be scandalized by touching the messy parts of life present as Jesus' representatives um, as re of resurrection in the world today. And finally, we will be confident that the resurrection of Jesus is the center of history, is true, and it is the true power source that we can lean on no matter what it looks like around us. And that gives us this kind of hope and faith to go in and embrace the complexities and ambiguities of tomorrow. Not with despair, not with an agnostic, I don't know what to say. No, no. No. Jesus is risen from the dead. We are praying with him, your kingdom of life over death, come now on earth in my context, in my situation, just as it is in heaven where life is everywhere the victor. Good word, huh? I, I, I feel very excited today. And this is a big idea, but it frames what we're about. You and I are gospel people. What is our good news? The resurrection is true and life wins. And who in our world doesn't need to hear that life wins over death? Come to Jesus, the life giver. Wow. So let's, let's do something today. We're more informal, our one day in this room while our other room is getting refurbished. It lends itself to a little bit of, of, of uh, discussion. This is what we used to do at 8 o'clock every week. Um, I just want to... We've got some time. Let me see what our time is. What am I saying that's striking a chord in you? Either a question, 
Maybe you, don't, you disagree with something that I'm saying. You want to push back, and that's welcome. Maybe there's an anecdote of life giving touch that you've seen in your own experience that you want to share. But let's interact around this idea that when we pray, when we pray, your kingdom come. When we pray, your kingdom come, we are saying this, life come, overwhelm, destroy the works of the devil, which is death and all of its dimensions. I don't know, anybody have a comment, question, want to interact with us in this? Hi, I'm Pat, and your sermon has been, um, your series is outstanding, and it revealed to me the many thousands of times that I did not represent the kingdom, Mm. and so I'm aware that I need to change. Mm. Pat, thank you for that word. And and I love what Pat just said. It's so easy for us, everybody, to cooperate with death. It's all around us. We're trained by it. It's familiar to us. Every time we say or speak a word that breaks down somebody, either to them or behind their back, guess what we're doing? A little killing. Jesus actually equates word with murder. You know, it's interesting. Cooperating with death is actually sort of easy, like going down a slide. Being resurrection people is always going against the tide, like walking through surf that's pounding up against you. So it takes an awareness. It takes a framework. It takes intentionality. It takes repentance. It takes, God, help me be your person today. And and one more thing, the resurrection power is never in you. This is not about you mustering up some kind of power to change anything. Guess what where our ministry is? It's to touch, which means we simply become a bridge of the real power of Jesus. We just need to get into the place and be there, be available, reach out our hand. So, Pat, those things just responded as you shared that. Thank you. Yeah. What else? What else? What else strikes you? Elaine and then Shawnee here, John. Elaine, there's a little mic coming to you right there. Say that one more time. Oh. I was just saying that I kind of feel like there's a life after death. Uh, so uh, um, you have no fear. You know, and Elaine, life after death, we often think of that phrase as conscious life after our body dies, which is absolutely true. And we think of it as the new age in which we'll get new bodies and on a new earth. That's true. But the whole narrative after Genesis, uh, you know, chapter 3, where Adam and Eve disobey God, and what did God predict would be the consequence of their rebellion? In the day that you eat of the fruit, you shall surely... So here it is. I mean, that's the great enemy. starts from the beginning. The whole story of God is life after death. Right? Yeah, I I believe the Bible teaches me there's a part of me that is already alive and will never die. Like it? Greed? And I believe that all of this stems from that, my spirit. Arnie, question for everybody in the room. Are we we waiting for eternal life or are we in it now? We're in it right now. We are. Listen, 
I firmly believe, though I've never died and I can't speak from experience, that when we do, you will not lose a moment of consciousness. Seamless transition of your being continues in the life that you're already living. I'm just and, interrupting you like crazy. And, and, and for Paul, in Philippians chapter 1, uh, I don't remember what verse, he claims that death is gain. And so we, I think we got a whole wrong concept of what this death thing is really about. <laughs> yes, it's ugly on one side, on the flesh side, but on the spiritual part of it, tomorrow I can be having lunch with Jesus. <laughs> uh, a thought on that, Arnie, is this. Um, one thing, because we do a lot of memorial services, and one thing I never do is I never glorify death, ever. It's always enemy. But uh, when Paul says death is gain, um, why I like that is because, is because we've thrown the ultimate joke on death, which happened at the cross, that death thinks it wins only to find that in its victory is actually an opening door to its utter defeat. So in that sense, death is gain. Not because death is good, but because it has been utterly fooled and beaten by what Jesus did, Right? I love that. This is what we do to death. Mm. <laughs> Sign language. Father, death. <laughs> Let's see, Shawnee, did you have a comment? I just love the phrase you use that we deprive death of its trophies. Yes. And you just you unpack that even more. And I just think that is a brilliant way to go around looking, where can I snatch a trophy away from death today? Right, know? so if someone, we're praying for somebody who's sick and we're not seeing the complete healing that we're after, okay, that's not the end of the story. Let's deprive death of all of its trophies in that story. There's a lot of pieces to that. So that's a way that we keep, we keep, uh, we keep at this. We don't, we don't give up if we don't just see sort of the big result that we're asking for. I was just thinking that when we allow God to use us as agents of resurrection and in touching death, it's like we don't see the whole picture now of what heaven is like, but when we allow ourselves to be agents of resurrection, it's, isn't it kind of like previews of coming attractions? Oh. <laughs> that this is what the, this is what the big blockbuster production of heaven is going to be about and this is just like a foretaste you know we've just like grabbed the popcorn and we're just getting into our seats Carol amen to that <laughs> little previews of where we're headed are meant to be showing up now and it's really okay with God's great movie that we're definitely spoiling the picture because he wants people to see what's coming so what a great what a great metaphor that is. Love that. Yeah, a couple more couple more comments at all? Anybody else? Yesterday I was in the um, Safeway and I experienced somebody else's Christian um, he was, she was following what she knew that God wanted her to do. I dropped a package of um, tomatoes and it was all over the floor. 
And she said, I'll go get you another one. And then she proceeded to clean up the floor and all the tomatoes. And I just thought, she was doing her job on earth as God wanted her to do. And I was thankful. <laughs> Jenny, I love that story because I've been talking abstractly. What does it mean in practical ways for us to be agents of resurrection? How do we steal the trophies of death in a situation like that? Well, you drop a can of tomatoes or something on the floor, it spills. What's the first thing that happens to a person? Embarrassment, shame, accus accusatory kind of, right? Would you all agree? That's probably the natural response. For somebody to come in, bring a solution quickly, say that's okay, bring help, do you see, that's a very simple form of stealing a death trophy of shame and taking away somebody's dignity by being there and covering their back, helping. Beautiful. Listen, this is not meant to be rocket science. This is, these are expressions of resurrection like that all day, everywhere we go. Love that. Jenny, thank you. Let's go, Janet, let one of you be final comment. So Janet, make it very profound, please. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, a few years ago when I was going into uh, heart surgery, uh, I asked all of the people in the prep room, all of the, the anesthesiologists and the nurses, could I pray with him? And when they realized that I wasn't praying for me, I was praying for them, that they would feel God's touch. I had a gathering of new nurses and new doctors come because no one had ever prayed for them before. And they wanted to be in on it. And they were all holding hands around me. And I was praying that they would feel God's touch. The release of pressure, the release of any anxiety, that they might do something wrong, that they might feel lifted and, mm. and, and freed by the Spirit of God. And... They all came. I mean, I wasn't doing anything big. It was something God led me to do. But they all said that it, it changed their whole outlook on the work that they did. Uh, Janet, that's what resurrection people can do. In the face of their own surgery, be praying for the, the surgeon. Yeah? <laughs> I mean, the other way is, oh, it's all about me. But resurrection people... That's stealing a little trophy of death right there. Beautiful, beautiful story. Church, from the very beginning of our church, this is what was written and spoken in the church's worship. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And the question just hangs on the page like, yeah? And we know what the answer is. You have been utterly defeated. And there's a timeline for the finished work to all get all mopped up. The resurrection of Jesus has been the final answer. We live in that stream. Your kingdom come. Your will 
Lord, we are going to sit with this. We are going to hold it. We're going to go into this week understanding better that when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. We are offering ourselves as agents of touch, as agents of resurrection in the world that we live in. Whatever form it will be, whether it's a dropped can in a grocery store or whether it's meeting our own doctor, whether it's encountering whatever we're going to encounter in our families, in our streets, in our workplaces. We offer ourselves to you. We don't, we don't purvey this. We don't make it happen. We're not resurrection generators. We are simply resurrected by you. You live and dwell in us. You have access to our lives. You have access to our hands. And we pray that through our lives, we might steal the trophies of death and give witness to Jesus, the resurrected Lord of heaven and earth, wherein is all of life that the world so desperately is looking for and longing for. Make us good news people this week, we pray in Jesus' name.